It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 312 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, April 11th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You, of course, can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode. Please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. Um, if there's an individual team that you're interested in, in sort of how their playoff scenario is going to play out, you want to find out what all the situations are for them, make sure you listen to that corresponding Locked On show. Uh, there are just like a bounty of Western Conference shows you could listen to today and try to get the perspective on all the teams vying for those last couple spots, uh, especially from the Wolves and Nuggets side, if you want to check those shows out. Um, and also make sure you're checking out Locked on Fantasy with Josh Lloyd. Lots of daily stuff going on there. Locked on NBA with David Locke uh, and also the rest of the hosts who are hosting the daily shows now. Make sure you're checking those out as well. And if you find Locked on Raptors on iTunes, which you should do, it's very easy, please leave a rating or review. It's the easiest way to help out the show, show that you care, show your support, all that stuff. Uh, and I very much appreciate you taking the minimal amount of time that it requires to leave a nice review and a five-star rating. All right, on today's show, uh, a very special show. I'm joined by our two pals, Sahal Abdi and uh, Vivek Jacob. Guys, how's it going? Pretty good. I guess I should. I, I shouldn't. Oh, I always do that thing where I like ask two people to chime in at the same time because I'm a bad host. Um, <laughs> but uh, Sahal and Vivek are both here. We're going to dive into the Raptors season end awards. Well, we, I gave out a ballot for a bunch of different awards for the season. Some, you know, standard ones that you would give out to, uh, you, you see everybody giving out. Some that maybe we haven't given out or seen given out by anybody uh, in Raptors internet so far. So we're going to dive through these. And uh, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll have probably a two-part podcast full of seasonal end awards with uh, lots of just hot debate. Um, not too much controversy, I don't think, with a lot of these picks. A couple that were pretty close, um, but uh, excited to see how it all plays out. So let's get into it, guys. Let's start with the first award. The most annoying opposing player for the Raptors to play this season. Uh, this was the one with the least agreement among us on the on the ballot. We were asked to give a top three for each award, uh, and with the most annoying opposing player... There was no consensus. There's a three-way tie for first place. Uh, would you like me to read off the winners? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay. Go for it. Uh, so, tied for first. Montrez Harrell, that was my vote. Uh, Zaza Pachulia, which was Vivek's vote. And then Marcus Smart, who's Hall voted. I don't even know. Did Marcus Smart play any games against the Raptors this season? You know what? He didn't. He, I, I don't know if he did, to be honest. Him and Al Horford are interchangeable for me. Okay. But both guys just pissed me off incredibly. Yeah, I'm not surprised that there's a bit of a Celtics contingent on this ballot. Uh, Vivek also has Marcus Morris as his number two. Uh, to fill out the rest of the ballots, I had Bradley Beal number two and then Tim Hardaway Jr. number two, three just because of that 38-point game he put on the Raptors' heads. Uh, Vivek had Pachulia, Marcus Morris, and Jason Terry, a very excellent pick for his third spot. And Sahal, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, John Wall. Uh, Vivek, let's start with you. Justify Zaza Pachulia as your most annoying opposing player this season. He just, 
I wish he wasn't in the league. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I hate his antics. I hate the bullshit he tries to pull. I hate that Kawhi has missed pretty much all of the season. Um, you know, you look at KD's injury last year. Um, so, yeah, I just can't stand that guy. He had to be number one. It doesn't matter what he's done against the Raptors specifically. <laughs> he was he was just going to be number one. Well, that's like totally outside of the what the spirit of the question was supposed to be. But I appreciate your your resentment towards him, so I'll allow the pick. Um, Marcus Morris, why was he the Celtic that came to the top of your ballot? It's just one of those annoying Celtics guys that you know he thinks he's you know all that, and but he's out here winning <laughs> Ger- Gerald Henderson awards. So, like, <laughs> so yeah, like. His stuff at the end of that last Celtics game, like, man, chill, like. Hmm. That 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 yeah. that's a fair assessment. Uh, I went Montrez Harrell because I don't think he missed a shot against the Raptors this season, and those Clippers games were two of the more annoying games for the Raptors on the year. Uh, I think for his career, he's now thirty of thirty-eight from the field against the Raptors, which is uh, truly absurd. What? Yeah, he just doesn't miss shots against the Raptors this season. Uh, all told, he was fifteen of twenty-one from the field for. 36 points in, wow. in 34 minutes. So He's he's kind of like Siakam's kryptonite. Yeah. The one guy that is, like, who has just as much energy and can move just as quickly as Pascal. Yeah, that's kind of... And he's just like a little bit stronger. He owned yeah. Jakob Pertl in that game, I remember. Uh, in the last game that they played, the, the sort of the peak of the downturn that the Raptors just went through. Um, yeah, no, Montrez Harrell, annoying as hell, so he's my number one. So, Hall, you have Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and John Wall as number three. I, I don't know. We have to. I think we should try to come to a conclusion here between the three number one picks, Marcus Smart, Zaza, and Montrez Harrell. So, Hall, if you had to pick between one of those three, I know Marcus Smart was your pick, but you also said that him and Al Horford are interchangeable. How would you sort of rank those three? We have to sort of give this to somebody, I think. Rank those three as in our each of our top three. No, this like rank Harold Pachulia, Marcus Smart. We've narrowed it down. Oh, I know okay. you. I know uh, you took Marcus Smart, but maybe with the Harold thing Pachulia, in mind. Pachulia could definitely easily be uh, not just in my top three, but number one. The guy's a really dirty player. But he didn't do anything against the Raptors this year. Yeah, um, I just feel like when you when you watch him in general, he's just done so many. Uh, things that aren't supposed to be part of the game of basketball mm-hmm. that really just make him annoying in the sense that he doesn't really have to face the Raptors. <laughs> um, for, for all we know, he's probably taken his, his shot. I don't know if you guys remember anything specifically, but he's probably taken shots at the Raptors here and there. He's just a yeah, really... I'm, I'm sure he's guy. gone at JV a little bit. Yeah, and he's taken... And, and, and he, I don't know, still don't know how he gets all these all-star votes. That's another thing that pisses me off about him. Georgia is, uh, is popping. Is what it is. Yeah, I just don't know how he like galvanizes them. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't get it either. Um, but like, just so here's my argument against Zaza. He played yeah. two games against the Raptors this year, a total of 26 minutes, just nine points, oh. five rebounds. Like he didn't do anything. So I, I can't, in good conscience, say Zaza is the pick. While philosophically, I might agree with the reasoning behind the decision to put him number one. Uh, I, I just don't really, I can't do it. Uh, so Vivek, 
we have to choose between these three. Who are you taking? I mean, I'll take if if the majority rules Zaza Pachulia, then the, the rules are the rules, and he'll be the winner. But uh, I'm just trying to make a compelling case here for maybe you to pick somebody else. Right, right, right. Um, I don't know that Harold is that annoying. Like, he was good. I would say more confounding um, than annoying, probably. Right, yeah. yeah. And I almost feel like it's kind of a good thing that Siakam got to, you know, have his weaknesses exposed a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, Sahal's pick, uh, Marcus Smart. All right. Well, what did Marcus Smart do against the Raptors clear this year? Your assert. I mean, I'm sure he flopped. And, oh, and certainly. I that Marcus Smart <laughs> does, so yeah. that's good enough for me. Yeah, he definitely flopped and missed a bunch of threes. He definitely did that. Uh, I just want to make it clear. I loved Marcus Smart coming out of uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah. It's just that um, his ego got a little bit ahead of him, and then LeBron had to sun him a couple times. And, <laughs> you know, take, him, take him through a stroll through the park. But um, I think just generally Marcus Smart's just a very annoying player, not just for a fan, but I think for – uh, DeMar DeRozan or whoever he'd be guarding that night. He's just very, a very pesky defender. He gets in your face. He talks to you. Um, he doesn't really care for your feelings. So <laughs> that's why he's in my number one spot. Just another counterpoint to the Marcus Smart thing because I'm very upset yeah. with you guys that you're voting for this question. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, uh, he only played one of the four games against the Raptors this year. In that game, he played 33 minutes and went 3 of 10 from the field for 14 points. He had nine assists in that first game uh, in November against the Raptors. Uh, and so uh, I guess he was effective and helped for the, helped them get the win. He was a plus 11 in that game, uh, in a game that was decided by one point. But uh, actually, I might throw a curveball in here. While I have Bradley Beal as my number two, there's clearly no momentum for him as a pick. So I think I might actually bump up Marcus Morris, put him at number two, because he was frustrating as hell to watch this season. C.J. Miles had his worst game ever against Marcus Morris. Uh, maybe the worst game anyone's ever played, period, in basketball. Uh, and I think it was particularly frustrating because last year, Marcus Morris was awful against the Raptors for the Pistons, right? Like, he had that game, he went like one of 13 with DeMar guarding him the entire time, uh, and it was beautiful. And for him to come over to Boston and obviously and like instantly become this effective, useful, like, bench monster... It was kind of bullshit. So, yeah, I think I'm going to amend my vote. I'm going to put Marcus Morris in my two slot. I'm going to bump Bradley Beal down to three. I'll take Tim Hardaway Jr. off my ballot. And uh, Marcus Morris is actually going to win this highly contentious award uh, for most annoying opposing player. I'm pulling rank, and I'm sorry, uh, but I can't in good conscience give it to Zaza Pachulia or Marcus Smart, who barely played against the Raptors at all this season. And uh, I'm wish- good with Morris, though. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm totally, I totally accept that. Okay, I'll do less uh, like manipulating of the results at later times, uh, I promise. So let's move on to the next award. <laughs> playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day uh, the next award, uh, let's do like the whole thing where they do like a big award at the start of the Academy Awards. Let's go with Defensive Player of the Year 
for the Raptors. Um, this was a very close vote. Uh, kind of two guys who went back and forth uh, in the voting for us. Uh, the winner, though, with uh, so the po- the point system, of course, if you're first, you get three points; second, you get two points; third, you get one point. Uh, taking it up from the rear, number four was Kyle Lowry with one point. Number three was Delon Wright with three points. Number two was Jakob Pertl with six points, and number one, Pascal Siakam with eight points. Uh, yes. I, vo- I voted him I- second, and both Vivek and Sahal had him first, so I have no qualms with this. This is a very good pick. Uh, Sahal, defend your choice of Pascal Siakam as number one uh, on the Raptors Defensive Player of the Year list. Are you there? Oh, no. Oh, no. Sahal. Sahal just turned into T-Bang. Yo, you guys are cutting off a bit. It's probably me, but you guys are cutting off a bit. Okay, yeah, you were you were the the you were cutting out horribly. Uh, just a couple of weird sounds came out of you. Uh, I think you're good now. So carry on with uh, okay. your defense of Pascal Siakam as defensive player of the year. Okay, so I just want to make it clear before the season started. Um, I think we did the majority of these awards. Uh, we had predictions for these awards for Raptors. Mm-hmm. I chose Pascal Siakam as defensive player of the year. Ooh. I'm rubbing it in. Um. He's won it. Pascal has been incredible all year on the defensive end. Um, from everything you could imagine, hustle plays to game-changing blocks to steals to uh, defensive plays that have led to transition opportunities, Siakam's really done it all. So for me, it was uh, um, it was a clear top choice for me, but at the same time, I don't want to under, uh, underappreciate what Pirtle's done this season. Mm-hmm. And then DeLon Wright, who took my third spot as well. Pirtle's done a lot of good things for the Raptors defensively this season. Uh, but Siakam, to me, has been far and away the best defensive player on the team. Yeah, I can buy that. I think the the thing that Pirtle doesn't offer that Siakam does is sort of the switchability and versatility and ability to guard guys who are smaller. Obviously spent yeah. time guarding LeBron James at times this season. I think if it weren't for the... Uh, late season swoon for OG Ananobi, he'd probably be on this list as well because think back to some of the defensive games he had uh, guarding like Giannis and James Harden is the one that comes to mind where he held James Harden to yeah. 2 of 15 in that first Rockets game um, but I think the last half of the season he kind of fell off a tiny little bit um, Vivek, let's go over to you. you anything to add to the case for Pascal Siakam as Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, not really, I mean he's He's the one guy on the team that's you know most likely or most capable of defending all five positions. And I, I guess the one thing I would add is I do honestly believe that a lot of those transition opportunities that he's able to create mm-hmm. are because of what DeLon Wright's able to do um, sort of at the head of the snake because he's so active with his hands and he sort of makes those passes just a little bit more easier to pick off. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helps Siakam a lot. And so I think DeLon deserves a lot of credit as well. Definitely. Yeah, DeLon got three points. Vivek, you had him second. Uh, Sahal had him third. I had Kyle Lowry third. Uh, my reasoning for that was mostly just that I feel like he had a bit more energy to exert on that end of the floor this season than he did last year where I thought he was pretty bad. Um, and while he didn't have, like, great games every single night, I think Kyle Lowry at his peak is just, like, such a goddamn good defender. 
Um, and I think he had some really excellent games this season. I can't think of any off the top of my head, which is probably bad for my case, but uh, just from what I remember, I think he was a very good defender this season. The post defense, of course, is amazing with him, uh, and it's one of the more fun things to watch a bigger dude try to post him up and usually fail. Um, I had Pirtle number one mostly because of his rim protection numbers and like just how much better he's gotten on that end, so I wanted to kind of give him a show for that. Um, I thought last year, obviously, the fouls have always been an issue with him, and even this year they were, kind of to a lesser extent, but I think he's kind of you know figured out the verticality thing. He's figured out how to obstruct shots without fouling and sort of getting himself into trouble that way. Uh, and I think it's just positioning is just like so spot on all the time, and I think just it, it's his ability to rotate and sort of be a team defender um, while Siakam I think is like a probably better one-on-one defender I think Pirtle's ability to sort of kind of be the central point from which the string that the bench defense is like tethered to like for him to be that sort of anchor I think is really impressive for a second year guy and he had a bit of a swoon last month uh, when the Raptors were kind of struggling a little bit but I, I think uh, his defense has just been so impressive this season. His rim protection numbers are up there with like Rudy Gobert and guys of that ilk. That's so incredible. yeah, it's insane. I think if he played more, maybe he'd be more of a lock. Like I don't know what happens this summer with Jonas Valanciunas and the cap crunch, and you know if Valanciunas ends up getting dealt somewhere, which I don't think is all that likely, considering the Raptors probably look at him as an asset at this point, and we'll get to uh, why that is uh, throughout this podcast, but. Um, like I would be totally comfortable with Jakob Pertl playing 28 minutes a game as a starting center because I just think his defense is so goddamn on point, um, and I think you could like build a really good defense around him. And like when that draft pick was made, I don't think anyone would have thought that. So that that's why I gave him the show for number one. But Pascal Siakam, goddamn, I think his defense and like the sort of how that was kind of fuel for the Raptors' second unit offense is is kind of underrated and him and Delon Wright I think both kind of fit into that and even Jakob Pirtle like Pirtle got some steals and I think his blocks a lot of the time usually end up uh, kind of going the other way as well because he's pretty controlled with his blocks he's not swatting them out like Serge Ibaka like they're you know controlled blocks where you can kind of start a fast break off of them so all those guys kind of fit into that mold um, but yeah Pascal Siakam is your defensive player of the year for Locked On Raptors, which is the only place at which it matters. Uh, let's go on to the third award for, for, for this half of the podcast. Uh, dunk of the year. This one, not much controversy. Uh, the number one, or let's go back from the, the bottom on the way up. Five dunks got votes uh, on each of the ballots. Tied for fourth were the CJ Miles dunk on Patrick Patterson. I had that third on my ballot, mostly because it's kind of symbolic of everything that's changed this season. Uh, tied for fourth also was Jakob Pertl's, uh jump shot on Paul Millsap. It wasn't a dunk, but hey, Sahal, you can put it there if you want. Uh, <laughs> third was Jakob Pertl's, uh dunk on Andre Drummond. Second was JV's dunk on John Henson with six points. That was, of course, the buzzer beater uh, that he was definitely fouled on and probably should have gotten the the call there. Uh, And then number one, of course, DeMar DeRozan on Anthony Tolliver. Poor Anthony Tolliver. DeMar, Dynamite, Detonate, all that shit. Mark Jones with the amazing call at the end of the game against the Pistons. Uh, That got uh, unanimously selected as the dunk of the year. Uh, Sahal, do you have any issues with uh, the way this turned out? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> DeMar on Tolliver might honestly be one of the best. In terms of game situation, um, just everything that you can value with a, with a dunk, that guy, it's honestly one of the, to me, it's one of the best Raptors dunks of all time. Yeah. Um, posterization, uh, game situation, just everything. 
And the fact that it came against the Detroit Pistons was just that much more sweeter. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that was an incredible dunk. I had Jakob on Drummond uh, as the other one, as yeah. my second one, sorry. Yeah. And then my third one is Jakob on Millsap, which happened just a little, I think, over a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't really a dunk, the dunk on Millsap, but Millsap got done like three days earlier by Joel Embiid, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so that's what actually will bring it to my mind. And uh, who knew? Going going into this season, that Jakob would have so many of these um, poster dunks. Um, he was never really thought of as an overly athletic guy. Um, he wasn't unathletic, of course, but I think he wasn't really thought of as the guy that would just uh, take your soul every other week. Mm-hmm. He's sneaky athletic. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna buy into that little stereotype. But um, yeah, because uh, when when you talk about game changing plays, you could. You could make a case that Yak has had some of the most Indian plays for the rap season. Um, so that's why I had him in my second and third slot. Um, not to take anything away from JV on Henson, that was one of the best games of the year. Um, one of the best plays in the best games of the year. But um, Yak just has my heart right now. Yak's got hops, man, and it's quite delightful. Only guy to make uh, the ballot two times uh, for separate dunks, if for what's that for what that's worth. Um, Demar's dunk on Tolliver, yeah. The thing about Demar's dunks is that they always seem to happen in, in crunch time. Like that—that's the beautiful. He doesn't really bust it out all that often anymore. But like you think back to his like last like four or five poster dunks, it's on Tolliver, it's on Tristan Thompson in the closing minutes of a game against the Cavs, it's on Rudy Gobert in the fourth quarter, it's on yeah. Thon Maker in the playoffs last year in Game Six. Like he uh, he busted out when, when it's most necessary. Vivek, what was your reaction? When Demar threw that dunk down on Tolliver, like where were you? Set the stage for for your reaction to that. I was watching the game in my room, and I had to, you know, I, I was jumping, I was yelling. I mean, you could have put Tolliver in front of me, and I would have acted like I just dunked on him. <laughs> 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 that, that that's how hype I was. Um, it was insane. Um, like you said, again, he has a habit of doing these in clutch situations. You know, I think of the dunk he had on Rudy Gobert, the dunk he had against Milwaukee in the playoffs. Um, even the dunk on Tristan Thompson at the beginning of the season, was it last year? Uh, uh, yeah, like the, the second Cavs, game of the year against the Cavs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's made a habit of doing that. I think one of my favorite reactions from that is... When you go back, and because I'm actually watching the video again right now. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's Lowry, DeRozan, JV, uh, Miles, and Van Vliet on the court. Right. And then when they cut to the Raptors bench, Siakam is pretty much at half court, like trying to get on the court to celebrate with <laughs> the team. <laughs> what a team. What a team. I mean, he, he looks like there's about to be a police investigation. <laughs> um, and, yeah, just everything. And and I think uh, in terms of where the Raptors have come, you look at that play where Lowry sort of sets that screen and gives DeRozan the open floor to make that uh, drive. And then to end the overtime for him to drive and then identify Van Vliet in the corner very much the way he did with Corey Joseph a season ago against the Wizards. Um, that's the beauty of this team because DeMar has now become this offensive superstar that no one can ignore 
and yet he's killing everyone with the pass as well. So yeah, um, that game. Yeah, in terms of reactions, I would put the JV dunk uh, high up there as well. I mean, you know, again, you look at where this team has come from. Uh, JV gets the ball, and you know, I think most situations because he wouldn't have had the opportunity to really make a read before mm-hmm. he would have just been waiting to pass it off and who knows what happens but now he recognizes that hey it's go time not this isn't working and he takes it to the basket himself throws it down on henson crowd goes nuts i remember in the press box i had to hold dan reynolds back you know? <laughs> <laughs> the playoffs are coming you're gonna have to do that more soon <laughs> <laughs> so so that was that was up there too man yeah, just a lot of a lot of just fun moments this year. Yeah, that my reaction to the Demar dunk. Uh, so my girlfriend had just gone to bed. Uh, I think she had to be up early the next day, and I was watching the game very intently. Uh, he threw it down. I like screamed at the top of my lungs. He did like a lap around my living room, <laughs> and uh, somehow didn't wake her up. I thought I was going to get in a whole lot of trouble for waking her up, but I didn't. Uh, so that was a successful uh, ordeal. Um, so yeah, congrats to Demar on dunk of the year. I don't know who won Dunk of the Year last year. I can't really remember. It might have been Norm on Anthony Davis, uh, but I can't really recall. Uh, oh, no, I think it was Yak on, on the Hawks. That I think that was probably it. Either way, uh, DeMar regaining his title as a very athletic Raptor. Shouts to Harsh DeVay uh, with the best Dunk of the Year for the Raptors. Let's move on to the next award. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Uh, Let's go with the James Johnson Award for Most Underutilized Player. Uh, This one, I I think this it's pretty obvious. The the runaway winner here was Lucas Noguera with eight points. Also getting votes, Kyle Lowry, three points. CJ Miles, three points. DeLon Wright, two points. And Nigel Hayes, two points. Um, so Hall, let's start with you. You had Bebe number one, Miles two, Delon right three. Defend your ballot here. Uh, Bebe, I put number one simply because uh, probably on any other rotation in the NBA, he would have been a uh, ten to fifteen minute player. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, have the deepest roster in the NBA. Uh, Bebe didn't really get a chance to show off. Um, what he could do this year he yeah. had very limited opportunities and i feel like uh, the vast majority of times he would see the court uh he'd have a positive influence on the game for the raptors um so that's why i had him number one uh cj miles i had number two simply because the raptors uh, you could probably still say their biggest weakness is uh long range shooting mm-hmm. uh, i think cj miles you take him out of the game 
or you take him out of the roster for Toronto, and I think Toronto has a really big hole in terms of their three-point shooting ability. Uh, I think CJ could have been used a little more. Um, there were some very strange games this year where he just wouldn't see the court, and maybe you would think in the back of your head that there was a Dwayne Casey, James Johnson-esque situation going on there behind the scenes where there was a little bit of uh, a dissent between the two guys, but... Uh, so that's why I had CJ Miles second, and then I had DeLon Wright third. Um, the third place for me was just like a throw-in kind of thing. Fred Van Fleet, uh, to me, uh, we'll probably get into it later, but he was the best player off the bench this season for the Raptors. Um, so uh, uh, the cool thing about DeLon is that they, they can play together simply because DeLon uh, can play the one or the two seamlessly, and he can share ball handling responsibilities. But I think DeLon Wright... Um, there were times this year where I felt like we could have just inserted him into certain game situations, mm-hmm. and um, we didn't, which is why he's <laughs> on my ballot. But um, yes, yeah, so that's that's what I have. I have Baby number one, CJ Miles two, and DeLon Wright three for the most underutilized player. Vivek, you were the one uh, who didn't have Baby number one. You had him number two. You had Kyle Lowry number one. Why did you make that decision? Because I was so happy to put him as someone that was underutilized. Because <laughs> This is what we've been waiting for season after season. We actually are resting him and saving him for the most crucial part of the season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's why I was just excited to actually have him in that position to say that he's underutilized. We haven't really, you know, gone to the well to the point where we're not going to be able to depend on him in the playoffs. That's fair. Yeah, that, was, that was that was so amazing. When I saw that number one for you, Vivek, I was just so happy. I was just like, wow. <laughs> we like, we're 81 games in, and we did it. Like, we rested Kyle Lowry successfully the whole season. Yeah, man. At a low, low amount. It's truly beautiful. I didn't even think from that angle. Um, and when you put it that way, I'd I totally buy the pick. Uh, I had Bebe number one as well. I think Bebe, uh, like, as always, when he plays minutes, he was effective. Uh, this season, 418 minutes on court net rating of plus 11.7 with a defensive rating of 96.4. Uh, the, the best assist percentage as well among all players on the Raptors when on the court. Uh, just uh, he's, He makes good things happen. He picks up a lot of fouls, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and that usually kind of cuts into any games where he gets run. But um, I thought... You know, it would have been hard to find minutes for Bebe because of how well everybody played and doing the sort of hockey lineups. Like, you know, the minutes were kind of spoken for. But, uh, I don't know. I feel like there could have been spots where you could fit him in a little bit more. Um, but at the same time, I think getting him some run late in the season will be useful. Hopefully he's healthy. Uh, his hamstring, I guess, there's no really update on what's going on with that. But um, hopefully he can make his way back for the playoffs because I think there will be potentially some series where he's required. I think... You know, if the Raptors were to come up, come up against, like, the Sixers, for example, having his length might be pretty useful against an enormous Sixers team um, and having him try to guard Joel Embiid or just, like, pick up fouls against Joel Embiid. Um, uh, I just, he does things that some of the other bigs don't. I think Jakob is getting closer to being sort of a, a Bebe clone in terms of his passing, but it's still not quite there on that level, and he'll never match the length that Bebe has. But, uh, yeah, Bebe, plus 11.7. I had Nigel Hayes, three. Sorry, two. 
because I kind of felt bad for Nigel Hayes. He played two games, only six minutes, and the Raptors had him for 20 days, two 10-day contracts, and they never really gave him a fair shot. And uh, you know, maybe it was because they were kind of in the middle of a winning streak when he was on the team. Um, and by the end of the winning streak, there wasn't a lot of garbage time to be had because they were kind of just like struggling their way through the ends of games. But um, I thought Nigel Hayes deserved a bit of run. Lorenzo Brown, I think, is totally deserving considering what he's done this season for the G League to get the NBA contract that was reported last night by Blake Murphy. Um, for him to you know get the NBA contract turned over and he's going to be with the team in the playoffs, I think that's great for him. G League MVP, all that stuff. Congrats to Lorenzo Brown. But honestly, Nigel Hayes' skill set and size I thought could have been pretty useful on this team. And I was kind of rooting for him to potentially get the nod as the guy that they'd turn into the, the last roster spot on the team. Um, and he leaves the Raptors as the all-time leader in three-point percentage. So uh, <laughs> shouts to him. Shouts to Nigel Hayes, uh, but also shouts to Bebe, the most underutilized player this season. And shouts to James Johnson, I suppose, for being the namesake of this award. Uh, let's move on to the next award. Uh, maybe we'll make this the last one. No, we'll do two more. Uh, that's this one here. Let's go to uh, Game of the Year. How about that? Um, actually, no, let's save that one. Let's go to uh, Most Frustrating Player. How about that? Uh this one was, again, kind of a runaway. Norman Powell ended up winning with eight points. C.J. Miles second with six points. Serge Ibaka third with four, with four points. The only category in which all three guys were the same for each uh, ballot. So uh, I guess some consensus here. Uh, let's, Sahal, you said Norman Powell by a long shot, specifically on your uh, ballot. So let's get your take on yeah. why Norman Powell was so significantly more frustrating than anybody else on this team. Yeah, Norman, um, just coming into this season, um, the Raptors had a very crucial offseason ahead of them. Um, a lot of people had the feeling Norman Powell was going to get re-signed at one point or another. Um, people were really, really high on his future as a Toronto Raptor. Um, some were even touting him as the next DeMar Rosen with his um, insane work ethic and um, crazy physical ability and um, just his overall ceiling as a player. Um, no one really came in uh, maybe since DeMar Rosen and had a work ethic like Norman Powell um, so when we came in this year um, everyone thought that it would be that explosion year for Norman uh, people were saying he was going to be the sixth man of the year um, I thought honestly he would be in contention for sixth man of the year I thought he'd be the best player on the Raptors bench um, and honestly I didn't even think it was going to be close but here we are game 81 of the regular season uh, playoffs are next week and Norman Pell had a very disappointing season mm-hmm. um, he didn't shoot the ball like he wanted to he didn't look confident um, maybe save for a handful of game this, games this year um, Norman Pell just didn't look like the Norman Pell we're used to seeing um, especially because the best uh, Norman Pell that we usually see is in the playoffs and he came off a very good playoffs last year and the year before that and uh, came into this season and he just with all due respect kind of crapped his diapers so uh, (laughs) yeah that's why I said Norman Powell by a long shot I feel like uh, most Raptors fans most Raptors beat writers and bloggers just thought that uh, Norman Powell would have that breakout year and he kind of had the opposite and uh, now for a lot of people his future is looking kind of murky in Toronto I think um DeLon Wright and Fred Van Fleet may be a little more valuable to the Raptors roster. Mm-hmm. Um, no one would probably would have thought that coming into this year, but here we are. 
Um, so that's why I had Norman Powell number one. Uh, I had Serge Ibaka second, um, simply because Serge to me was just there were there's just some games where it's just like number one, why are we paying you this much money? <laughs> and number two, like you have talent, you have the skill set. Why aren't you putting in the work? Why are you standing on a three point line the entire game? Why aren't you attacking? More. There's just so many questions with Serge this this entire season um, that just frustrated the hell out of me. And then CJ Miles, for me, um, was was third. Um, I'll let Vivek, I guess, explain why he puts CJ Miles first because he had him first on his ballot. Go ahead. Yeah, I think with me, just the inconsistency. I think. In terms of putting Miles ahead of Powell, I think more than anything I felt for Powell, mm-hmm. just because you look at the way he's had to fight for his role. I mean, when he's played well, when it, he had, you know, Terrence Ross, Damari Carroll, James Johnson, all these guys ahead of him, and then he's finally got to this point where he ascended to the starting role, and 12 games is all it took for them to say, hey, enough of this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they put a rookie ahead of him. Yet, last year, he outplayed Damari Carroll all year. And not once did they say, hey, you know what? Damari, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I really felt for Norm. Like, especially, you know, you, you had that stretch pretty much once he was out of the rotation where it was like, Casey would say, hey, Norm, here's two minutes for you. Yeah. Show me that you can play again. So, um from that point uh, standpoint, I, I think it was just a really tough situation for Norm to come back from once he was out of the rotation. And I'd like to think these last few games he has looked better, which possibly could bode well for hopefully seeing playoff Norm again. Um, but yeah, obviously the three-point shooting hasn't been there. In terms of expectations, obviously it's been nowhere near that. I expected him to be a starter, be that starting small forward, and maybe... You know, even have obviously the three point shooting wouldn't be the same as what it was in the Milwaukee series where you went nine for ten. Hmm. But um, oh, you you still expected him to be a strong component in that starting unit where he could, you know, potentially even be uh, the third man after Kyle and Demar in terms of scoring. So, um, in terms of expectations, obviously he's probably got the biggest variance, but. Um, I just fell for him because I, I, I don't think he got a fair crack at it. And, you know, part of that is you got to give your due credit to OG and how good uh, he was once he stepped into the starting spot. So, um, yeah, just I think, you know, the depth on this team sort of killed him more than, you know, him actually having time to figure it out and still being crap. Yeah, that makes sense. I think if there's one criticism you can level at Casey for this season, it's probably the handling of Norm with those situations, like you said, like you throw him in for two minutes at the end of a quarter. What do you expect from him after he hasn't played for a little while? At the same time, though, like he was dealing with an incredibly deep roster of guys who are overperforming and playing to a much higher you know, degree of, of effectiveness than Norm, so I understand why he got squeezed. Uh, and like Norm coming in and making silly decisions doesn't exactly help him sort of gain any sort of leash. Um, and, you know, I think the thing for me, the frustrating part of the Norm experience this year was that 
like in the past, and I think this is kind of you know, kind of a running theme year to year. The most frustrating guys are the guys who you kind of have an expectation for. Uh, it was the same with Patrick Patterson and Damari Carroll in the past, and I think there's no secret that, or no, you know, no sort of con, you know, confusion as to why uh, C.J. Miles and Serge Ibaka are all on our list, and Norm Powell as well. Like these are guys who had expectation coming in, and Norm used to be this found money. He was a second round pick from a hilarious trade with the Bucks, and now he's got this extension kicking in next season that's going to sort of hamper the Raptors and. You know, I don't think it's going to lead to the Raptors not keeping Fred VanVleet, but that's a you know a possibility certainly. Um, and somehow Norm managed to be the only guy on the team this season to be a negative net rating uh, in terms of guys who were like semi regulars. Um, the next lowest player was Jonas Valanciunas at a plus five point nine, uh, and Norm Powell was a negative zero point four, which is incredible on a team with like a plus eight net rating for the whole season. Um, but just like his decision making never really cut it, and I think it's understandable that Casey would look at look at OG who. You know, obviously not quite as dynamic off the bounce and stuff like that as Norm, but seemed like a lot more within himself whenever he was making decisions and not trying to do stuff that he can't do and sort sort of hijacking the offense. Sometimes to his detriment. I mean, sometimes OG could be too passive, but um, like I think it makes sense within the context of that starting five that you know OG would make a little bit more sense next to those guys than Norm did. And yeah. so now you have the weight of this contract, and I think that's kind of the reason why he was frustrating to me because it actually has like implications on the cap sheet going forward, as opposed to him being the second round, you know, thing that you found out of nothing. And uh, and so obviously that's kind of going to play into it. C.J. Miles, I get the pick for as well. Um, like the the inconsistency was just not, you know, too like. I, I feel like Raptors fans maybe built up C.J. Miles to be something more than he was before the season. Um, like he, he was always, he's always kind of been this bench hand who I don't think you could pencil in for more than he really provided. Uh, I thought he was, you know, there were games where he saved the Raptors' asses during that end of the the win streak there when they were kind of turning it on in fourth quarters. It seemed like every single night C.J. was going to hit three threes to start the fourth quarter and kickstart a comeback. Uh, he had his moments for for sure this season, and I think there's going to be a lot of use for him in the playoffs. I would imagine his minutes will go up because his shooting is going to be so valuable especially in a series against like say the Cavs for example um yeah. but like I, I totally understand why he sort of didn't end up sort of living up to I think what people thought he was going to be because I just don't think he was ever going to be that um but I think that's okay I think that's fine I understand the surge frustration as well I had a third just because like I, I've never I've never been too concerned about surge and just kind of thought like as we've seen the last couple weeks when it matters he'll kick it back into gear um, and it's frustrating because he's making a lot of money, but I think when it matters, the frustration will go away with him, and it'll just be kind of awesome to watch playoff Serge Ibaka again. Um, we are going super long, though. Let's move on. Uh, congrats to Norm, or I guess, sorry, Norm, for getting most frustrating player. Uh, this this award, by the way, is the Terrence Ross Award for most frustrating player. Uh, I forgot to mention that, and it kills me to say that, but I figured it was fitting. I was about to say, damn, that probably hurts. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's not pleasant. Uh <laughs> Let's get to the last uh, of this part of the podcast, the last uh, award, and then we'll uh, break it up into a second part. Uh, Sixth man of the year. This is an important award for the Raptors this season, considering how important their bench was. This one, a unanimous pick. Fred Van Vliet, all nine points available to him. Pascal Siakam comes in at second with five. Jakob Pertl with three. DeLon Wright with one. Uh, Sahal. All right, let's go, let's go Vivek this time. Uh, let's go back around the horn. Vivek make the case for Fred Van Vliet as the sixth man of the year. I think it's a pretty easy one to make, but go ahead. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet, you know, he's just, to me, the leader of the group. I think the biggest case that you can make for it is that stretch that he missed a few games and uh, the bench unit 
just didn't look the same. They didn't have the same rhythm or flow to them, uh, even with the lawn right there. So I think what he provides in terms of leadership and just running plays and keeping everyone organized and also providing the three-point shooting, the ability to penetrate, uh, and then just being a really hard-nosed defender, uh, even when he's overmatched in terms of size or strength or whatever it may be. Um, I think he's the one that sort of gets that bench unit ticking uh, on the offensive end at least and yeah that would be my case for him yeah uh hard to argue with that if there were to be a contradictory case sahal uh how would you sort of argue pascal siakam might be more important than fred van Vliet? um the coolest thing about this six man award is that um there are people out there um me included that want the entire raptors bench to win this award just because of how deep this this uh, team has been this year and how great uh, Freddie and Jakob and Pascal and all these guys have played. Um, all of these guys have shown incredible flashes this year. Um, again, I had Fred as the number one on my ballot, but to make a case for um, Siakam or, or Jakob Pertl or one of those guys, uh, again, like I said before, Siakam and, and Pertl have, have both had game-changing plays this year. Um, things that have literally, you could see, have turned the tide of, of certain games and have created runs. And um, they're the type of players, uh, Pascal and Yak, where um, just watching them play, whether you're on the court or as a fan or you're in the stadium, just kind of, it, it's like an infectious energy mm-hmm. that those guys bring to the court um, that just rubs off on anyone around them. Um Again, Fred Van Fleet. The coolest thing about I think what I want to say about Fred Van Fleet is that um, coming into this season, everyone thought he would be on the outside looking in. Um, everyone thought DeLon Wright would be the clear uh, backup point guard, and Fred Fred wouldn't really get a chance, you know, to to get on the court as much. And and he comes out here and he has an incredible last what three four months. Mm-hmm. Um, just played his ass off. Um, he's one of those guys, he reminds me of Kyle Lowry just because he's not overly athletic and he's just very good at everything. He's yeah. great at diagnosing the game and he's become a really good three-point shooter. And Like Vivek said, he's 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 a really, he's become a really, really, really good defender. Like, this guy is going up against, um, Fred Van Lee's what, six feet? Guys? That's that. <laughs> That's generous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> going up against guys that are 6'3", sometimes 6'4". And he's holding his own, mm-hmm. and that reminds me even it reminds me of Kyle Lowry even more. Um, so, uh, yeah, Fred VanVleet's been a, a an incredible, incredible story this this year for the Raptors. Um, Siakam and Pirtle, Delon Wright, all these guys have been incredible for the Raptors. But I think for me, the Sixth Man of the Year award goes to Fred VanVleet. I totally agree. Um, I think there's compelling cases to be made for all of them. But Fred, I think, in ways that the other guys didn't, kind of unlocked that unit with, A, his shooting, because that was always going to be the issue with running out a full bench unit was that this wasn't enough shooting. Uh, you know, CJ yeah. Miles is out there. After that, though, it's kind of a tricky proposition with Pascal Siakam going about 20% and Jakob Pertl, uh, just not being a threat and DeLon Wright like he was pretty solid this season but it's not like his three-point shot is that much of a, a scary thing for defenses to deal with I mean th- 
he'll load it up for three seconds and usually drain it. But um, if it's like yeah. a quick catch and shoot thing, it's probably not going down. So for Fred to be able to unlock that a little bit with some space uh, to his game. And then also I think the thing with him that really sort of changed the game was him kind of getting better finishing and sort of driving into the paint because he was never very good around the rim. He started the season pretty rough and I had issues with him closing games at the start of the year. But as the season went on, he became so much better at just breaking down his man off the dribble and then finding ways to finish over bigger dudes at the rim. Very Kyle Lowry-like once again. Uh, you finished the season between 0 and 3 feet. He shot 57.5%, which, like, uh, I did not think that was going to be possible for him. You know, he didn't play a ton last year. He was 43% in that range uh, last year. And, like, I think at the start of the season, the numbers would have been you know, significantly lower for him. But for him to sort of find a way to become a better and more crafty finisher around the rim, that kind of opened up a lot of things for the half-court offense in particular. I mean, that unit was always going to score when it, you know, got steals and, and, and defensive stops and, and started running. But, you know, the half court has always been kind of an issue. And there's still, you know, hiccups with that. There's still times, I think about that Pacers game last week where, like, the second half, the, the, the bench was in there for so much. And it just couldn't generate a whole lot offensively, particularly in the fourth quarter. And I think that's still an issue. But I think Fred's ability to kind of create on his own, as opposed to just being a spot-up guy, really kind of unlocked that unit and made it more effective than I think anyone, any one of us ever could have imagined. So congrats yeah. to Raptors' sixth man of the year. Fred Van Vliet. Uh, that's going to do it for the first half of the Raptors year-end awards ballot, uh, or year-end awards. Uh, we're going to come back tomorrow with the second half and uh, get to the last few awards, including MVP and a couple other ones as well. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Subscribe, rate, review to the podcast on iTunes. It's the easiest way to help out the show, as always. And we will talk to you tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.